Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Thanks for tuning in to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app. Or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Broadmoor Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week. Let's pray together. God, as we hear you this morning, may our thoughts turn to action as we leave. Remind us again of what we are doing here and its purpose and what true religion, true worship really is. 
We give you our worship this morning. As flawed as we are, we give you our best. So take what we have, we offer to you in Christ. Amen. There's a danger in coming to church week after week after week that we begin to learn the routine and ritual and sometimes we get into a rut and it drives us, doesn't it? And we go through the motions, as was mentioned this morning. So I'm beginning a sermon series from the book of James called A Faith That Works. Now, I like the book of James. I really do. Larry likes the book of James. I imagine you do too. But I learned this week in preparing that there are some people who do not like this book. Especially if you're from the Lutheran influence. If you were a Lutheran Christian or if you are now, you may not like this book. Their namesake, Martin Luther, did not like it. He called it an epistle of straw. Meaning that the straw burns easily and once it burns away... It doesn't leave that pure golden nugget, which is the gospel. In other words, the book of James does not have that golden nugget, the gospel, so it isn't worth much. That's what he, that's what he said. Well, why was James nothing but straw? I turned to a Lutheran pastor to understand who gives two reasons. The first reason, he says, is that Luther did not like the book of James because Christ is not emphasized in James. The words Jesus Christ are mentioned only twice in five chapters. In the book of James, there's not one mention of the cross. And there isn't one mention of dying on the cross. There isn't one mention of baptism, such as believing and being baptized to be saved. And there's not one mention of the word grace and what grace means. And so, in James, there's no Christ, no grace, no atonement, no death on the cross, no baptism. So, we can understand why someone wouldn't like the book of James. The second reason is because there's such an emphasis on works. Luther liked Paul's letters because Paul talked about grace through faith in Christ. And Luther and Paul both emphasize grace. But not in James. There's an emphasis on works, on doing, that you must do these works in order to be Christian in your life. So take these two issues then, the emphasis on Jesus Christ that's lacking in James, and then that it's mostly about works. 
then people can draw the conclusion that James is saying you can be saved through your works. On the other hand, you may like the book of James because, as it was mentioned, of its practicality. It's real. It's down to earth. We can get it. James is a book of action. I like action. He says, be doers of the word, not just as Edward Marquardt says, listener who listens, not just a thinker who thinks or a talker who talks or a worshiper who worships, a believer who believes, a prayer who prays, but believe in Christ and get his work done. Be doers who get things done. That appeals to a lot of us. How many of you, don't raise your hand by the way, how many of you would rather be worshiping by serving someone, by doing something? I know people who say they don't worship well in church, but they worship by serving others. How many of you would rather do something this morning, get something done, rather than just talk about it? You want to act rather than sit around in meetings and plan and process and organize and all those good things. When worship is mostly words, it can feel empty sometimes. Trivial, cliche, shallow. Eliza Doolittle said to her suitors, remember? And my fair lady? Words, words, words. Is that all you blighters can do? Don't talk of stars shining above. If you're in love, show me. Right? Show me you love me. Do something. Sometimes in worship we get a lot of empty words. When what we like to, is to see their significance. To see them in action. See that they're real. And that's why James says in our scripture today, do not be hearers who look in a mirror and forget, but be doers who act. Those who do, he says, will be blessed. Blessed. I think in each of us there is something longing for something more significant. A spirituality that's deeper something more substantial and real that we're looking for. As Bono in, uh, of U2 sings, we still haven't found what we're looking for. But J James says that true faith, true worship, true religion is faith that is active. Works of love, he says, a couple of verses later, he says that true love or true worship is serving orphans and widows. True religion. Worship. The word is liturgy. What is our worship, our liturgy? You can open your order of worship and see how we do it. But true worship is not merely following a set of rules or instructions. 
or just showing up and going through the motions. But is not showing up for church every Sunday at 10.30 or sitting in the same pew every Sunday. True worship is not just listening to music and suffering through a sermon. Not that we have to have a drawn-out invitation or walk an aisle. Or as someone said, it's not just about saying your Hail Marys and praying the rosary. True worship has two tests in James. Two tests from that chapter. Number one, to control the tongue. Right? That's difficult. To control the tongue. The second is to care for widows and orphans. James warns in three passages, in three verses in James, that those who lash out with their words in anger, and I would add those who press letters with their thumbs, he says, are not worshiping truly. He says, second, that the test of true worship is active compassion for those that are the least in our world, often overlooked. Christopher Church is professor of philosophy and religion in Memphis. He's also the ethics consultant and chair of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital Clinic Clinical Ethics Committee. And he says this, orphans and widows represent the poor, oppressed and exploited ones who are unable to rescue themselves from their harsh circumstances. He goes on to say, to visit them, as James says, to visit them is not to pay a social call, but to intervene in their lives, as God intervened in the lives of the Hebrews as they were slaves in Egypt. Intervening, upsetting the powers and setting them free. This is time to spend with these vulnerable and to join them in their pain and oppression, to share their situation and to become an advocate for them. Not to dismiss them, but to treat them as loved by Christ. True worship is not just about stained glass windows and padded pews and organs and pianos and drums and air conditioning. True worship has nothing to do, really, with brick and mortar. There was a story about St. Francis of Assisi. He was praying in an ancient chapel. This church was in badly in need of repair. And while he was praying, he heard the voice of God from a crucifix over the altar in the church. It said this to St. Francis. Francis, go and repair my church, which you see falling into ruin. So Francis went and got his toolbox. But soon he realized that that voice was referring to something else. The voice of God said again, not the bricks, Francis. 
the people. The people are in need of repair. Francis went out. He took care of the orphans and the widows. The voice of God still speaks over the altar, calling us, Christian, go and repair my church, which is falling into ruins. And it's not talking just about brick and mortar. We sometimes get it backwards. The Pharisees were good. They were good at religion. They had it down. They would go to worship every Friday night, Saturday on Sabbath. They would tithe faithfully. They knew their Bible. They had many parts of it memorized, I'm sure. Probably knew it better than any of us in here. And they dropped their coins in the charity plate as well. But Jesus took them to task over what true worship really means. Because they did not care for the poor, the widows, the prostitutes, the beggars, the blind, the lepers, and all the outcasts of that day. That was the problem. They did not have true worship. The prophets also speak about true worship. They say, do not oppress the orphan, the widow, the stranger, the alien living among you. All rituals and sacrifices are worthless if you don't practice justice and kindness and love. Apostle Paul said the same thing. He went to Jerusalem. He says, James, Peter, and John ask of me only one thing, just one thing, that is, that we remember the poor. And where do we fit in? It is, it is easy to separate our Sunday faith from our Monday practice, isn't it? We may forget the Sunday words on Monday. Be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. They look at themselves, they go away, immediately forget what they were like. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their, they deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion, he says, that is pure and undefiled before God our Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one unst oneself unstained by the world. Fred Craddock, I mentioned from time to time, he was a preaching professor of mine and he's a world-renowned preacher. He said when he was 20 years old, he had read Albert Schweitzer's book, Quest for the Historical Jesus. It was an amazing work. It really is an amazing work. He said, but, but I found Dr. Schweitzer's theology of Christ lacking. He said, I marked up his book. I marked it up. I wrote notes in the margins. I raised questions of all kinds. He said, and then one day... One day, he read in the Knoxville newspaper that Dr. Schweitzer was going to be in Cleveland, Ohio, giving a dedicatory concert for a big pipe organ in a big church there in Cleveland. He said, 
I've got to go. I take issue with this book. The article said that Dr. Schweitzer would stay after the service in the fellowship hall and would have refreshments and have a time to, to fellowship. And so, young Craddock bought a Greyhound bus ticket, made his way to Cleveland. He said, all the way there, he says, I had my answers on a, sh- a separate sheet of paper. I wrote my questions on one side and had my answers on the other. All the way there, he said, I wrote, you said this, and you said this, and I disagree with you because I, he said, because I figured if there was time for fellowship, there, were, there, there would be time for questions too. He said, I got there, I heard the concert, I rushed into the fellowship hall, got a front seat in the fellowship hall, and I sat there with my questions on my lap, waiting to tear apart Dr. Schweitzer's theology. He said, after a while, he walked in. Shaggy hair, big white mustache, stooped, 75 years old. He said he had played a marvelous concert. Of course, he was a master organist, medical doctor, philosopher, biblical scholar, lecturer, writer, just everything. He came in with a cup of tea and some refreshments, stood in front of the group, and he said, there I was, as close as I could get, with my questions ready to tear apart his theology. He said, Dr. Schweitzer came in, and thanked everybody for coming to the concert and being very hospitable. He said, I wish I could stay with you longer, but I have to get back to Africa. I must go back to Africa, he said, because my people are poor. They're hungry, they're diseased, and they're dying. He said, I have to go. We have a medical station in Lambarine. He said, if there's anyone here with the love of Christ in their heart, won't you be prompted to join me to go and to help me? Craddock says, I looked down at my questions and they were just stupid. He said, I learned again what it means to be a true Christian and hoped that I could be that someday. Be doers of the word, not merely hearers. He says, he promises they will be blessed. What about us? Are we going through the motions? Are we playing church? We get a little Jesus to start the week. It's okay to get Jesus to start the week, to hear the word. But it means very little if we don't put it into action. Do we have true religion and true worship? There's a test on Monday. Let's pray. God, you know our hearts. You know whether we're sincere or we're playing church. Only you know this. 
we ask that your spirit would move in us in a fresh way in each one of our lives into this church. Send us out on our mission from this place to the people we encounter, the somebodies and the nobodies, sharing that Christ loves them. Help us put feet and hands to what we have heard. In Christ we pray. Amen.